welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. You know, right to this day, our two most trusted institutions, both mainstream science and mainstream Christianity, are flat out lying to us about what happens at and after death. They're stonewalling all the evidence we have accumulated about the true nature of reality, which, in fact, is entirely non-material. I think we can forgive Christianity. After all, it doesn't claim to be more than a belief system. But for the past hundred years, we have watched the entire traditional scientific community ignore altogether a vast array of very good evidence and important information about death and the afterlife to the point where even basic and very important areas of research are are now sort of sidetracked and dead-ended in some cases, totally stalled just because science is so Bullheadedly wrong. Scientists are to this day still looking for a source of consciousness in the brain, and that is the literal equivalent of taking an old tube radio apart to find the source of Frank Sinatra's voice. That's what it is. They cannot get past the notion that life must have arisen spontaneously when lightning hit some perfect brew of chemicals in a primordial soup. They think the Big Bang has to be how it all started, but they don't say how something came from nothing. That's something they have never been able to even come up with a theory about. Our guest today is a hero in this field. He has spent decades studying some of the remarkably nutty depths, and and I admit nutty, that mainstream science has been plumbing in its effort to keep people from understanding whatever the truth may be. They don't want to know the truth, and they want to for sure make sure you don't know it. Craig Weiler is a parapsychology journalist. He's a speaker. He's host of a popular blog on the science of parapsychology and its skeptics, and he graduated from UC Berkeley. In his daytime life, he runs a small construction business, and he began his spiritual path during the New Age movement, didn't we all, teaching and practicing psychic healing. He doesn't follow any particular group of teachings, but rather he explores a very westernized mixture of science and spirituality. And like so many of us, he sees this ongoing stonewalling of the truth by mainstream science as a terrible and tragic problem for all of humanity. He wrote a terrific book, and it came from England's very much esteemed and prestigious White Crow books. It's called Psy Wars, TED, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. It was first published in 2013, and it's out in a new edition. Craig is the science editor for Paranormal Daily News, which can be found at paranormaldailynews.com. Craig, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Roberta. It's, it's really a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I enjoy speaking with you. <laughs> yeah, well, we have fun, don't we? Okay. Yes, we do. <laughs> we call them skeptics because you are an honorable gentleman. It's very gracious of you to call them skeptics. I call them debunkers. We're going to be talking today about your courageous and very patient work in fighting the many crusaders 
against the truth, who refuse to even consider the evidence with an open mind. But first, please tell everybody how you got started doing this work. So back in 2008, I I began, uh, you know, of course, uh, 2008 was right around when the Internet started getting interesting and uh, blogs started to become a thing. I had joined a couple of different blog sites, blogging about stuff randomly, but eventually settled on my favorite topic, psychicability. And then when when I started in on that topic on a popular, uh, at the time, a, a popular website, I got a tremendous amount of very, very negative feedback in, in comments. Right. And this led me to explore what are these guys talking about and where does the information come from? And so I started digging. And that is just one heck of a rabbit hole once you go down it. Yes. Because, yes. And it, it led me to where I am now because when you when you start, everything sounds skeptical. And once you push past that and start questioning the skepticism, it becomes increasingly clear that the information in the actual truth of of psychic ability is nothing like what you see in ordinary in ordinary um, daily life in terms of of how it's presented by uh, media outlets. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, my, my experience has been oh so all right so then that got you started right and then you did more and more sort of digging and studying because you got very yeah. involved in this. Uh, I, I just kept I just kept going because it's uh it's very very fascinating stuff. And then in 2013, they there was the TED controversy uh, where TED TED talks. Uh, banned a talk from Rupert Sheldrake and Graham Hancock. And I saw a, a story there. And yeah. I turned around and gathered all the information that I had gathered up to that point and put it in the book. And that's, that's, that basically put me on the map, uh, writing the book because it was, what I had done was, uh, spelled out all of the skepticism up until that point when I did that skepticism was seen as a counter argument to psychic ability and although uh, a lot of people uh, some some academics and and others have pointed out that a lot of the criticisms were irrational nobody had really put together exactly what was going on uh, I, and so I was the first there to go in there and say, hey, we have these skeptic organizations. They're public relations firms for uh, people who are acting like religious zealots. They're, they're not exactly like religious zealots. There's, there's some very important differences. But the, the basic attitude of we're 100% right and you're 100% yep, wrong. That's right. Yep. Uh, uh, manifests in skeptical organizations and they have organized themselves to get into all of the mainstream media that they can manage and produce a basically a public relations blitz over time that has created a skeptical viewpoint in the mainstream media which then feeds into science and when you 
when you get enough of that going, it creates a milieu that's almost impossible to get past. Right. Yeah, because people think science, well, that's what, you know, we've got our TVs from science, right? We got uh, our, all our, the internet comes from science. It does a lot of good stuff. So it, whatever it does must be good. I think that people make that connection. That turns out to be the opposite of what's true. Um, science stopped being the open-minded pursuit of the truth around the turn of the 20th century. And it did that for an important reason. Um, at that time, there was a flood of excellent communications from people that we used to think were dead coming through deep trance mediums, physical mediums, which is no longer even a thing because it takes so long to develop the talent. Um, that's how I first got over my skepticism about life after death, was by reading hundreds of communications received through these mediums, all from different places in England and in the eastern U.S. at different times, they all had been to the same place. That's not possible if the afterlife isn't real. And I, frankly, I've never gotten past the fact that we know it's true, and this is how we know it's true. And scientists, if they had had an open mind, would have looked at the evidence, drawn the same conclusion. We wouldn't be having this conversation today. But instead, they refused to look at the evidence, and they established what they called the uh, scientific dogma of materialism. Now, anything with a dogma is a religion. And this is basically the basis of the religion of atheism, the scientific dogma of materialism. They won't talk about it now because, of course, it's such a stupid idea. But they were talking about it um, easily 100, 100, uh, 120 years ago, thereabouts. And to this day, they enforce it. So... And that's what you've really been looking at. You've been studying how that dogma plays out in things like, um, you know, TED Talks and Wikipedia and all the places that are accepted as sources of the truth. And they've refined this whole nonsense to an amazing degree. Um, but I, I just, I, it seems to have lessened, and I think... I just want to briefly interrupt and to sort of tell people why, what I think has happened. Because it'll take me two minutes. Um, when when the fun of dying came out in 2010, I had the same problem, Craig, that you had. Um, there were I we were getting I was getting actually a lot of um, negative uh, comments on my blog posts, that sort of thing, and um, I just answered them or I deleted them. Um, but about that time or a little earlier, uh, the, the wonderful. Uh, Craig, uh, Craig, yeah, um, uh, Wendy and and um, Victor Zamet do a wonderful weekly newsletter. They do it to this day called the Friday Report, and they came out with because Randy was doing this ridiculous million dollar challenge. They came out with their own challenge. If anybody can show that everything in their uh, book of proofs of the afterlife is wrong. They get a million dollars out of the purse, the Zamet's personal pocket. And that, I think, was one of the turning points. But I, because I noticed within, by 2012, now that's two years later, I wasn't getting the same kinds of pushback that I used to get and I used to feel I had to answer. They, and neither was she. She said it was, Wendy Zamet told me it was quite amazing to see how suddenly all of that, that they'd been fighting their whole careers, melted away. But that doesn't mean they stopped. It just means that they understood that in the marketplace of ideas, they had no ideas. They couldn't, they couldn't fight the truth. So instead, they went underground. And that's what you've been fighting, this insidious work against the truth 
without ever, ever confronting it. All right. I wanted to tell people about that. Now, go ahead, dear, and tell me, tell me um, what the things you've done in, in, you know, since then to fight this nonsense. The first thing I did was I found a, uh, a large uh, community site that was not controlled by skeptics. Uh, in the early days of the Internet, you basically, most of the conversations were done on forums. And the forums were community moderated, which usually meant that if we were discussing paranormal topics, a skeptic had managed to get themselves into the moderator uh, role and began selectively removing information that they disagreed with. So I got on a site called Quora, and this allowed me to see what the general public uh, had uh, was able to see, uh, and because the site is is very open that way. Right. And the moderation doesn't allow the skeptics to gain control. So I began just answering questions regarding the paranormal, but from a scientific standpoint, explaining the information. And, uh, and it took about two or three years before the skeptics started to get sidelined and marginalized. But yeah. it, it, did, it did happen. And it's basically when, as you said, when the when the skeptics are are forced to compete with people who are knowledgeable on the subject, they lose. Yes, every time, 100%. Yeah. yeah, they have nothing, as you said, they have nothing to offer except to say there is no evidence, yada, 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 um, which are basically just talking points. Right. Uh, Good point. And, yeah. So uh, one of the points I want to make is that when you say atheists, the uh, the skeptics are a subgroup of anti-theists, which, uh, so they don't represent atheism per se, they represent a small percentage of them. Much like evangelicals don't represent all of Christianity. Point. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They are atheists, but they're by no means the only ones. That's right. Right. And so the, the it's when you get over into the anti-theists and, and skeptics, you start to see the zealotry. Uh, that's characteristic of being on a crusade against chiropractors, acupuncture, and psychic ability. Uh, you know, Do you basically, know why, go after why? Why? Some of these people who are insane this way are they? They it has to be something strongly personal with them, and yet they're they're close enough to the evidence for the truth that they have to be being exposed to it in order to fight it. Why are they still fighting? Why is it so important to them to maintain a lie? Do you have any ideas about that? Oh, yeah. There are authoritarian personalities. It's oh. the same thing you see in religion. Uh, when you have uh, authoritarian personalities, first of all, love to be in charge. So you'll see them in positions of authority everywhere, which is one of the reasons why mainstream media has this tug of war between uh, proper reporting and, and outright skepticism. Is because there are editors in there in charge that are diehard skeptics. Uh, it's it's just a, um, it's just these people like to be in charge and they like to control. Once they get into that position, it's just the personality type. <laughs> that's talking. a wonderful insight, really. That's I think that's fascinating. I I think we should say too, Craig, that we there's nothing wrong with being skeptical. I think we have to be skeptical. Everybody I know who is a serious afterlife researcher or researcher in any field is very skeptical because there is a truth 
And you could receive some information that looks like the truth. A great case can be made that um, you've got to be very skeptical about near-death experiences because they're very real. But right inside the experience, we're told these people have never been to the actual afterlife. So anything they tell you is, is zero evidence for an afterlife. That's the kind of skepticism you have to look at the evidence and you've, you've got to be able to determine what is real and what's not real and, and not just take things at whole cloth. Um, but these people are not skeptics in my view and these people are debunkers. As you say, they are, they would have great insight. They're authoritarian personalities who are not interested in the truth. They are interested instead in being important and in having whatever view they happen to have espoused prevail no matter what. And so therefore, um, they have a, they have techniques that they use. We'll talk about those uh, to try to get certain ideas out of the marketplace for no good reason but their own egos. Quite quite a good insight. Thank you for that. I, I might also add that they are fear driven, uh, yeah. and you see you see this with uh, with authoritarian types and psychic ability. Uh, when the authoritarian types are in the church. Then you see psychic ability portrayed as the work of the devil. And when you see the pe- people uh, leaning towards scientism, then you see it as, oh, well, it just can't possibly exist. Yeah, right. So it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Oh, my word. All right. So, the, so these people really are invested emotionally in having the evidence be wrong. And they're, they're therefore very invested emotionally in having you who are listening now never know the truth. Because once you know the truth, when enough people know the truth, they will all be laughed out of existence. And that's something they could never stand. So that's why they fight so hard to keep people ignorant. You're, that's absolutely right. So, so do you have any idea how we break through that? First of all, uh, I'm working on it uh, with Paranormal Daily News. The publisher is totally uh, on the side of breaking through this particular logjam. And so you have to do this with a two-pronged approach. One, one way of, is, of course, providing information. Uh, this is something that I've been doing through articles that I've been publishing on, on Paranormal Daily News uh, over, since August uh, of, of this year, covering different fields of parapsychological research. Uh, and the other part of this is that you have to always call out the skeptics. Uh, whenever, when, whenever their lies and mis- lies, misconstruing, have a heavy bias, whatever it is they're doing at the moment, uh, gets into the news, this has to be immediately rebutted and very strongly so that they don't get in a comfortable position of having only their views uh, be the ones that are presented. Very good. Yeah. Basically, uh, what we're doing is marketing, uh, marketing the the science of psychic ability, uh, parapsychology, to the general public. And because skeptics market skepticism, it's it's a marketing approach. There's nothing about it that's scientific. The science part of it that they do is just window dressing. Uh, it's terrible science usually, by the way. Yeah, it's really uh, bad. I know. I've looked at it too. Yeah. So uh, it's just window dressing to push their point of view, which 
you know, if you if you listen to them, that there's talking points. There is no evidence for psychic ability. That the research over the last hundred years is a complete failure. Yes. And yada yada yada. The whole point is there's nothing to look at here, and that's a message that all of the skeptics who are really in the zealotry zone, uh, they all repeat this message over and over and over again. This is a marketing thing, and only marketing is going to undo that. All right, so we're, we, this is something we're all in together, basically. Everybody who understands that there is a truth um, needs to be advocating, I guess, if it feels to be your calling, uh, whenever you see the truth being denied. I mean, I think my own story is is typical. I I, I had those two two experiences of light in childhood. I knew there was something behind the curtain, but I believed when I started looking at this all seriously right out of college. I believed that um, if there were an afterlife, a real afterlife, um, we would have found it by now. I mean, how how hard could it be? So when I began to come across books and used bookstores. Um, which told about these experiments with, that were done with deep trance mediums. Um, and in that, at, then it was relatively recent in time. It was, you know, 50, 60 years before I was looking at for these books. I found books that had this information, brand new information to me. And I was very skeptical. I thought in the beginning that there was no, there was no, no way to have this for this evidence to be real. That's why I had to read some. It took me two years of finding in libraries and old bookstores a whole lot of these books that were written by researchers 100 years, 80, 70 years, 60 years before. Finding these books, reading them, and then eventually realizing it has to be real. Why does it have to be real? Because every single one of the people who were who claimed to be dead, and everyone assumed they were dead, who was talking um, from over over a 40, 50 year period, talking from the afterlife was talking about the same place. It's just like if if you know people come to the United States, there are going to be certain things about being in the United States that are universal. There are a lot of different states, but it was always the same process of getting there, the same physics, the same pastimes, the same clothing, the same details, the same. The, the same scenery, it was the same everything, and there were, it was never an outlier. And so after two years, I closed a book, one of those books, and I just looked up, and I thought, okay, it's real. There's no, I, I have to accept the fact that it's real, and that's when my, my life in trying to understand it began. But that skepticism, you're willing to look and look for the truth and find the truth, whether it's true, whether it's false, you're being objective. What these people are doing that Craig is fighting, and bless you, sir, for doing it, are people who don't look at the evidence at all. No one can say there's no evidence for life after death and be an honest person. There's a, that's, a, that's like a, a complete tell. If someone ever says that to you, if you read it anywhere, you're new, you know you're hearing from an idiot or from someone with a big agenda, and his agenda is ego-based and fear-based, as you also point out very well, um, there's just no question anymore. It, there was a question 50 years ago. There isn't a question now. Oh, sorry, you get me so worked up about these things whenever we talk. Uh, but I, I understand. That's book is so good because it talks about all this. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm too, I'm too worked up about this now. I understand. Uh, what I want to point out to 
point out here is your approach. So first of all, you did some things that are substantially different from skeptics and far more scientific. And one of them is is that you didn't automatically assume that uh, one source of information or one side was the correct one. In other words, you were not just skeptical of the the psychical research, but you were also skeptical of the skeptics. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so you were pushing it from both sides, which is the same thing that I did. And it's only when you start questioning the skeptics that the process starts to uh, open up. Because obviously, if you if you don't question the skeptics, you're never really going to to understand what's going on. It, that was that was my journey. It was obviously your journey. And for anyone that that is is willing to question the skeptics, this is where it all opens up. Once you start questioning the skepticism, you begin to understand that that part of it is mostly irrational. Yes. And it's it's always the same, and it never uh, never produces anything interesting. For example, uh, when you see skepticism regarding uh, parapsychological research, it never comes with helpful suggestions. Never. No. Nope. It's all it it all has a tone of complete condemnation, as though they were dealing with people who were completely incompetent. In contempt, right? It's it's really contemptuous right. of of the fa- of the facts. Yeah, yep. there's always this there's always this undertone of contempt, and that's your tell that you're dealing with something irrational. Is that tone of contempt, um, and and a lack of helpful suggestions, because when you see actual criticism of parapsychological okay. research from from parapsychologist to parapsychologist, it always comes with helpful suggestions. You should have done this. Yeah. This would have been better. We can improve it this way. Right. Uh, and. This, uh, when you deal with something exceptionally tricky like uh, mediumship research, where you have biases from every angle and yes. trying to sort out what's real, um, that kind of input is really, really helpful. What isn't helpful is, for example, what, like what uh, Weissman and French did, which was construct an experiment where you sit somebody in a room for eight hours and say, okay, produce. Yeah. I mean, there there has been good experimentation done by a few people. I mean, Gary Schwartz's book, uh, which is, I guess, must be 15 or 20 years old now, uh, is wonderful. That's the one that first convinced me that some medium, because I, even though I knew there's an afterlife, I was very skeptical of, of mental mediums, because these people are mind-reading with somebody who is mind-reading with your you know, I mean, this is like playing telephone with your mind. How could they possibly be talking for real with your dead loved one? I was very skeptical until I read his book. And he tested them, double, triple, quadruple um, uh, blind tests, where people didn't know who they were reading. That person wasn't even in the room. And still, the, the, they received um, uh, such accurate information, the, 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 the true mediums. Um, received such good information that it, their chances that that could have been random were millions to one. So, yeah, some of them are really real. The trouble is, it's a, to be a mental medium is an easy thing to fake. It's easy. They, they, they're, it's possible to learn to do it so well that you would think I was a medium. And, and I know how to fake it, so I could do it, but I don't. But so, so this kind of investigation is very helpful, I think. The, what Gary Schwartz did, what others have done, in testing mediums, and in, in just coming up with 
facts. We need facts at this point. And that's what yeah. they're protecting us from. They're protecting us from the truth. Whatever they think they're doing, they are standing in the way of humankind's learning the truth. And I'm not afraid of any truth. I don't know about you. I'm just not afraid of it because whatever is true is real and we better deal with it. But they won't. One of uh, one of my observations with parapsychological research is that almost all of it is incredibly significant. Uh, you can't stumble over a study without finding something really important about uh, reality. Uh, yes, yes. The from the psychokinesis research, where it, it it evolved from throwing dice to uh, little Geiger count little, little Geiger counters measuring random. Um, <clears throat> random uh, radioactive decay to uh, oh let's see uh, even the uh, the healing research and and all this other stuff it's 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 amazing first they establish a, an experiment that works and then they can start tweaking it to find out what's what's behind the curtain and it's just amazing what they've what they've discovered this way yes uh, and as as soon as this research becomes acceptable, science is going to make some very huge leaps because yeah. there's all kinds of really important stuff there that's just not making it out. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it was made by someone that, whose name now is a household word because he turned into a car. Um, Nikola Tesla said um, he was a, a great polymath of the 19th and early 20th centuries, as I recall. He said that when, when science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in, in five years than it has made in the entire past of, of its entire existence. I mean, he was yeah. absolutely right. And you just said the same thing. It's absolutely true. They're, they're keeping um, people from studying because scientists are governed. We should explain, you know, why are scientists paying, putting up with this? Well, they got to make a living. they got kids to put through college. They'd like to retire. And the scientific gatekeepers are the peer-reviewed departments, uh, peer-reviewed, rather, um, uh, university departments and this, the, the peer-reviewed journals. These, these, they, they police one another very rigorously. And I am actually told by physics students who want to do post-grad work, um, uh, you know, maybe even get a PhD, whatever, if you want to study these areas, don't bother because you will never be able to get a job in physics, teaching or writing or any of that. If you study this whole field, you can't do it. So make your choice. Either you're going to do what, what, what will, they will allow and what they will fund, or you're going to do something else with your career. That's, that's the reality. That's why they're able to keep this stranglehold on the truth going for so long because they control the universities and they control the peer-reviewed journals. Not all of them. <laughs> right, not yours. Right. right. No, the, uh... not anymore. Well, also, have you noticed that they're, the peer-reviewed journals are now discovering that the experiments that supposedly they have proven are repeatable and therefore the information is useful, most of those experiments cannot be repeated. Most of those peer-reviewed articles have not been peer-reviewed. There's one, there, there was just an, uh, yesterday, I think, an article about 44 um, different um, articles that had to be removed from the back uh, the history of some major 
uh, esteemed uh, peer-reviewed uh, publication because they were garbage. If you read them, they, there was nothing in them that was real, and they just published them anyway. I'm sorry. Go. What were you going to say? Well, first of all, that mostly re uh, refers to the field of psychology, which is having what they call a replication crisis. Yes. So the original studies did pass peer review, but when people went to try to replicate, they found that a lot of these studies uh, couldn't be replicated. Uh, and it's it's something that parapsychology, because it's always been under attack like since forever, uh, yes. they've taken care of these types of problems. Uh, and they did this a long time ago. So the they don't they don't suffer from the same issues as psychology, even if um, skeptics want to put them in the same boat. Yes. But it's 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 psychology, and they've been having that problem. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it. It's in it's in some other areas too. Um, apparently, they've just they've, because no one's ever questioned them. The for a while, a lot of the peer-reviewed journals in in a number of fields, physics as well, have had some issues like this. And I think the reason is that they have for so long been such a protected little enclave that they haven't felt the need, as parapsychology has, to be, to be rigorous about what they will publish and how they will handle things. Um, but, but the point is, if the only uh, things that will be published in, in any scientific, scientifically approved publication, if the only things that will be published are things that, that, that support a way of thinking that is basically wrong, then the whole, every, all the science done in the past hundred years, except in parapsychology, is fundamentally flawed. I'm not sure we can trust much of any of it. Don't you think that's a problem? Um, yes and no. <laughs> On the one hand, <laughs> but you're always... Because you are so disciplined, and I'm not. I'm very emotional about this. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> You're always going to get that from me. There's everything, all the stuff has a nuanced response to it. Yes, uh, I love that. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, first of first of all, the, the science has uh, been grappling with the materialism problem for quite some time, and it's starting to break through even among regular uh, physicists. Uh, and the the issue is is that physicalism, the materialism, just doesn't hold up. I mean, you, at all, right? Uh, because when you get down to quantum physics, it's hard to say what on earth is physical. I mean, because we're not actually physical there in in, in any sense of the term. Right. Uh, we're made up of fields. Not it's 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 energy fields. It's not anything it's physical. Energy. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, and the uh, the fields are only there because of vibration and whatnot, and so calling us something physical is really a bit of a stretch. And then you have all of these experiments that keep showing up that where it begins, becomes very difficult to separate consciousness from the process. And in physics, I mean, when you get down to quantum physics, it's very hard to separate uh, consciousness from the process. And then you have people like Dean Radin uh, with his types of experiments demonstrating that consciousness absolutely is part of the process. Right. Uh, exactly. And... Yeah, and that stuff is slowly having an effect. Uh, and then there was a, a materialist uh, by the name of Rovelli who uh, published a paper recently. And although he's, you know, he made some mistakes in there in terms of understanding parapsychology, a lot of them do. But his, his theory is that physics is relational. 
which makes absolutely sense, makes perfect sense if you think about it, which is that everything can only be measured against something else that we already know. Um, yes, that well, yeah, that that is so, true. Yes, and, exactly. And, which which means what what the hell is objective reality if everything's measured <laughs> against everything else? Right. So you have right. all these conundrums now, um, and then then there's the problem of what in this 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 extends all the way down into biology is what is um what is information because information drives life so you know if you have a genetic code for example something intelligent has to read that code right that's right code code is not a physical process code is information information is, is something completely non-physical and consciousness based so when you have something that's life arising from a code, something has to read that code. Excuse me. Ah. <laughs> that's a wonderful um, point. Yeah. So you have all these types of problems in there, and you also have epigenetics, where they're demonstrating that thought processes are um, rearranging uh, genetic material. And, cre and so... If a thought process can rearrange genetic material, then what's going on with a mere thought? Because thoughts are consciousness-based. There's nothing material about them, and they're right. affecting material processes. So what's going on here? Oh, um, my goodness. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So you have I all have these very, very deep... Field. I'm so glad you have. Tell us more. Um, so, so you have all these, um, these areas that are pushing into the... Uh, the materialist realm and challenging it in ways that uh, materialists just have no answer for. Uh, materialism is very limited um, because it it can't deal with all this very ambiguous information uh, and information itself. And you can't get you can't get past the problem of defining consciousness, which no physicalist uh, materialist can do. Right. Uh, because you need consciousness to. You need consciousness to explain consciousness, so everything you do is going to be circular. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. That's great. It's true. It's absolutely right. The thing yeah. is, until we started getting quantum physics for dummies books, um, you know, about 20 years ago, um, we could not make sense of the physics of the of the afterlife. We we could see what it was, but it made no sense to us because we didn't we. we it gave us the gigantic clue that consciousness, and this is something that both, I should just point out, both, both Max Planck, who got the 1918 Nobel Prize in physics, and, and um, um, Albert Einstein, rather well-known, who got the 1920 Nobel Prize in, quantum, in, in, in physics, both of them independently came up with consciousness as the basis of reality and they came of it up with a, with that from the viewpoint of physics so mm -hmm. if this happened a hundred years ago they, they, there's nothing no reason other than ego and fear as you point out excellent excellent observation that has kept science so stupid for so for the past hundred years well, I think part of the problem when we're talking about scientists is that uh, when you're dealing with people who are of a skeptical bent, they are typically linear thinkers. Um, they're generally um, they're smart in a book book smart uh, you can pass a test uh, type of smart. 
but for for holistic processes, um, they do struggle quite a bit. And something like uh, consciousness or psychic ability is something that they have a lot of trouble wrapping their heads around. Uh, And evidence of this, all you have to do is go to the Wikipedia page on pseudoscience and see their huge list. It's everything holistic. (laughs) It's really, I mean, from chiropractors to acupuncture to naturopaths um, to aromatherapy to psychic, uh, you know, parapsychological research, all of this is very holistic. And that's the common denominator of all the things that they call pseudoscience. So they're attacking things that they can't wrap their heads around. So it's basically... I'm too stupid to understand this, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> what a good point. Yeah, we should point out to everyone that Wikipedia is totally not to be trusted. Um, the, the, the TED organization is totally not to be trusted. Um, what else do people have to steer away from if they're trying to look for the truth? Well, the, um, the heart of all this is uh, the skeptical organizations uh, and the people that are associated with them. So anytime you see the Center for In- Inquiry, the Skeptical Inquirer, or uh, anything along those lines that uh, that basically advocates their perversion of skepticism, uh, and you can see it because they're they're also anti-theist and they seem to like be a, you know on a campaign against Santa Claus. Um, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, <laughs> But uh, they they generally are uh, their, their information. You know, it's like they're right once in a while about something, uh, but for the most part, their biases in terms of what they what they will accept and what they won't as evidence is so strong that they're not really the first. You, they're not your go to source. They're not reliable. No, no, but it's especially. You know, as you point out in your wonderful book, um, especially uh, the people who do the TED Talks and the people, they have a whole list of how they would they determine. And just let's just quickly put in a, a plug for the Rupert Sheldrake um, band TED Talk. Um, I, I have used it a few times in my blog posts. I mean, he did a wonderful TED Talk, which which lays flat all the materialism stuff. And he does it in the sweetest, nicest way as Rupert does things. Um, but but um, everyone deserves to listen to it uh, because it, it, one of the things he talks about is encounters with people trying to preserve the illusion that, for example, the cosmological constants, there are 26 constants, which if any of them were off by just a little bit, uh, the universe would either explode or it would compl- collapse on itself, but it never does either of those things. And therefore, you would think those constants are stellar and they are going to hold tight forever. No, he he was able to determine by going back to look at prior records that they're being adjusted all the time. Who's adjusting the cosmological constants? Well, he went to someone, and this is in that TED Talk, he went to someone uh, who, in, in Britain, he's British, who is set, whose job it is to kind of keep this, this going, and um, he, he asked the question, and the fellow said, oh, you discovered our shameful secret. And Rupert said, what? And he said, well, but, he, but the fellow said, oh, but we fixed it. And Rupert said, how did you fix it? He said, well, because we've decided we don't measure it anymore. So now the cosmological constants never change. That's a typical skeptical approach. 
<laughs> Isn't that amazing? But it's it, it's right there. I mean, that's the kind of thing we are up against if we care about the truth. And we should care about the truth because what they're keeping from humankind is some of the most wonderful news that we can we can't even imagine it. That's how wonderful it is. And because of these people's boneheaded stupidity, and I'm sorry, you didn't use that term. You would you are much more respectful, but I'm beyond it at this point. I'm not respectful at all. They deserve whatever they get, and they're going to get a comeuppance that's huge because what they are doing is keeping the truth from saving the world. And I don't think they have a right to do that. It's an interesting uh, connection you make there because I've uh, I've seen the same thing and I just I can't put my finger on it myself. I have nothing to um, support my the the feeling that I have, but it's the same. It's that uh, there's something about getting into this research and accepting it that will have a huge impact on how we go forward. Yes, exactly. Among many things that happens is anyone who really understands the truth becomes a whole lot nicer, sweeter, kinder, more loving, more caring, and you really care about the future as you never did before. You start living in an eternal frame. All the, all the characteristics that we most wish people had universally because it would change the world, what the scientists really are doing is keeping each individual from making the leap to becoming that kind of person. You can't make, you can't tell people to be good, but they become good naturally once they really get these truths. Thank you. That's, that's a very, very good point. So it's our job, everyone. If we care about the future, if you care about your grandchildren, it's our job to fight, fight the liars, fight the, as you say nicely, all the skeptics. What do you want people to take away from today? I'm so sorry we are totally out of time. I could do this with you all day long. Uh, the um, the message that I usually like to extend is that we, you don't need to take skepticism at face value, uh, particularly if you're an experiencer and you've been getting a bunch of negativity. All of it... Uh, all of it is very, very heavily biased in favor of a very particular point of view in a philosophical, um, an underlying philosophy that basically is unsupportable. So the the reality is, is that if you're an experiencer, what you're experiencing is as much true as anything else. Their uh, reality is a little bit, is a lot more fluid than what the skeptics make it out to be. They are, they're not... I see skeptics as they're not trying to sell us on this point of view. They're trying to sell themselves. Only by constant repetition can they hold it all back. Wow. Everything you say is such a good point, Craig. We're going to have to have you back just to, just because I so much enjoy talking with you. Craig Weiler can be reached at paranormaldailynews.com. There are no, there's no period in there anywhere. And this will also be in the notes to this program. But, um, Craig, I am so happy we had this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for your uh, amazing patience with me when I get all excited about this stuff. Thank you. Thank you for all of it. My pleasure. And let me just say I really enjoy your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do this again. Okay. Everyone, everyone, meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, and I'm so glad you were here today. Please take away... 
uh, Craig's wisdom because uh, he knows things that it's very important the world begin to know in order to be able to fight back against the lies. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Cute Blackson, whose new book is great. It's called Finding the Courage to Let Go. Mr. Blackson is a fascinating guy. He offers a fresh and bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. He was born in Ghana, West Africa, as the child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father. And he has lived on four continents, so he has he's lived life, even though he's still young. And for the past 20 years, he's been an inspirational speaker helping organizations to develop authentic leadership and achieve extraordinary performance. He received, and this is amazingly prestigious, he received the 2019 Walden Award in the New Thought Wisdom category that the Unity Organization awards once a year to recognize socially conscious leaders who are making the world a better place. And one of the people who's won that award is Oprah Winfrey, so he's in rather exalted company. He says that his mission is simple. He wants to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. So please join us next week. This is going to be great, too. And this week, we've been talking with the extraordinary, wonderful Craig Weiler, who has been with us for the second time. Craig is a parapsychology journalist, speaker, and now he is with the, the wonderful um, new publication, newish publication, ParanormalDailyNews.com. He's the author of a truly wonderful book, I think, called Psy Wars, Ted, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. It's really about the battle for our minds and for the future of mankind, and he is in the forefront of it. He is a wonderful, wonderful man to be so patient and kind in the situation in which we all find ourselves. We've been discussing that topic this week, which is debunkers, people who are trying at all costs to keep you from ever knowing the truth about what's really going on, especially the afterlife and the greater reality. We've talked about why they do it and how they do it, and I've learned a lot from him, actually, because I thought they were all just playing the devil, only you couldn't see the horns because they wear hats. But they're also damaged people. They also think they're doing the best. However, the damage they do to totally innocent people every day is, is impossible to calculate. And the more you learn about these ignorant fools who are desperate to keep you ignorant, the better prepared you will be to defend yourself and your loved ones against them. So again, Craig Weiler, who's doing a wonderful job, and we all should be very grateful to him. And we've totally run out of time at this point. So I'm just going to say, meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy. Please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you, you in particular, are a powerful, eternal being. And you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. 